Let's open our Bibles to Ezekiel 37. The goal today is to get through 37, 38, and 39. And um, I'll give you an overview of these chapters tonight. But then on Sunday, what I want to do is um, actually show you just, and I'll touch on a couple of things, things that even happened just today, um, that are setting the stage for the, what we call the Magog invasion. And um, uh, the, the main reason that this should be of interest for this, and as I study different Bible teachers who teach on the subject, most are in agreement that we can't be a part of this. You know, the rapture of the church, and I won't be dogmatic on any of it, it's going to happen before, during, or immediately after. After reading McGee today, he is just dogmatic that there's no way, and he gives his reasons why the rapture of the church has to take place before the battle of what we call the Magog invasion. And uh, we see those pieces falling together real quickly. So again, tonight I'll review a little bit 37. 37 is really divided into two sections. We went into detail on Sunday, the vision of the dry bones, and the idea of the first 14 verses of um, Ezekiel 37 was the impossibility of a whole field and valley full of bones that have been dead and dried for a long period of time. The Lord telling Ezekiel, speak to them. And when he speak to them, prophesy. And then he heard this great rattling, and the bones began to come together. And he formed a skeleton. And after the skeleton was formed, then the, the sinews and the blood vessels and the skin came upon them, but there was no life in them. So the Lord tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the winds, and he did. And um, he prophesied to them and said, O oh, breath, uh, breathe on these slain that they may live. And all this is an illustration, nothing more than a picture. And he says, he says to him, Behold, um, Ezekiel, as these bones came together and are alive, so I will open your graves and I will cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you back into the land of Israel. So it's all an illustration. Nothing more than a very dramatic, impossible picture of something that's dead being brought back to life. We went into quite a bit of detail on it on Sunday. You can get the DVD if you want to on, on that. Um, showing the impossibility of a nation being gone for 2,000 years. And then in the last 69 years, going from desolation, literally dead, bones, <laughs> no life whatsoever, uh, to uh, the assets that I'll get into more again on Sunday, the great wealth um, that has taken place is going to be one of the motives that we're going to look at tonight in chapter 38. How I ended the message on Sunday was, you can check off chapter 37. We're going to go through the second half of it, uh, because the second half of it is the, um, the sign of the two sticks. It starts in verse 15. But my point, and what I want to make several times this evening is we're living in a period of time where we've watched this happen. We're living in a period of time 
where an ancient leader and his country that's in existence today, the only one, is in Ezekiel 38 and 39, and God calls, calls him out by name. So to say that we're living and in, in watching this unfold, um, the sad thing about it is most of the church is, um, um, for lack of a better word, the Lord says, my people perish for lack of wisdom of my word. And unless you're teaching the word, uh, this doesn't make sense. Just like when you teach through Revelation, it doesn't make sense unless you take it literally and you see the pieces uh, fit together. So chapter 37, check it off. He said he was going to do it. And the last thing we read here in verse 14, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will place in you your own land. And then you'll know that I am the Lord. I've spoken it. I'm going to perform it, says the Lord. What can you add to that? When God says something, it can't be changed. He said, heaven and earth is going to pass away, but not my word. It's it's good as done. So that was the first half of it. Um, The same point of the rest of chapter 37 is simply a different illustration. Instead of a valley of dry bones, he's going to take two sticks and tell tell Ezekiel to put them together. So let's read it, and we'll come back and tie those pieces together. Or should I say tie those sticks together? All right? Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Now as for you, son of man, I want you to take a stick for yourself, and I want you to write on it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions, and then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his, his companions. Then join them one to another for yourself into one stick and they will become one in your hand. And when the children of your people speak to you saying, will you not show us what you mean by these? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companion, and I will join them with it and with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will be one in my hand. And the sticks on which you write will be in your hand before their eyes. Verse 21, Then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, plural, wherever they have gone, and gather them from every side, and bring them into their own land, I'm going to make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. One king shall be over them all, and they shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. They shall not defile themselves anymore with idols, nor with uh, detestable things, nor with any other transgression. But I will deliver them from their dwelling place in which they have sinned, I'm going to cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. David, my servant, will be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd, and they also will walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Now, I'm going to repeat this, but let me say it here. One of the things that, as we learn over and over again, going through the Old Testament, is you can jump from one verse to the next verse and have a gap of, 
hundreds if not thousands of years. And this is what we're seeing happening here. He says, I'm gonna bring you back in the latter days into the land. But all of a sudden now we're talking about David, um, one shepherd, David, ruling over them. And we've just went before the battle of the Magog invasion, passed it, jumped right over it. Now we're talking about the millennium. And you need to be sensitive to that. And this is not unusual. Matter of fact, it's, it's, it's the norm. That um, the detail and the further explanation is given to us more in detail in the New Testament. That's why I say when we start uh, Daniel on Sunday mornings, we'll be teaching Revelation on Wednesday nights because that's how you see the pieces fit together. The two books go together. And uh, so when we read this part 24 on, recognize that we're not talking about what's going to happen. I like to say we're living between the pages. I've said that how many times? We're living between 37 and 38. Well, let me clarify, yes and no. Um, We're not living in the millennium. King David is not ruling as one king over the land. That's after the great tribulation when we go into what the Lord called his kingdom age. So just be sensitive to that. And uh, let's finish it up. Verse 25, then shall they dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they will dwell there, uh, their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. And we talked about this before. And chapter 36, I think it was. Moreover, I'll make a covenant of peace with them It will be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them, multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in the midst of them. My tabernacle shall also be with them. Indeed, I will be their God. They shall be my people. And the nations also shall know that I am the Lord, sanctified Israel with my sanctuary in their midst forever. Now, The point is simple, so let's not miss the forest for the trees here. Uh, Basically, we have two stories that is being used as illustrations to make the same point. That which was dead, he's going to bring back to life. And he's going to put them back into the land after they hadn't been there for a long, long time. And now with the sticks, he's going to compare it to, it's not going to be like after Saul, David, and Solomon, where there was a divided kingdom, and you had, when it talks about uh, Ephraim and Joseph and the ten tribes um, going north, they had no good kings. They had 19 of them, not one good one. The reoccurring phrase is, they did evil in the sight of the Lord after the sins of Jeroboam, their father. And as a result, God took them into captivity by the Assyrians. Uh, the southern Judah, what it mentions here, and this would be the other stick, they had 20 kings. And eight of them were good, eight of the 20. And so their judgment was postponed. When the Assyrians came to destroy them, it would have been during Hezekiah and Isaiah's time, during that time period. And um, the Lord told Isaiah to tell Hezekiah, don't sweat about it, don't worry about it. Now one arrow is going to come over. And um, 
I was talking to, um, oh, Jeff Sewald. I was talking to Jeff and um, invited him up for our stake and study. So he's, he's, um, he was going into the chiropractor at the time, not that had, that has anything to do with the Bible study whatsoever. <laughs> and he said, I'd love to do it. I just got, I'm at my office. I have to check my schedule. So we got talking. I was, he was asking where we're, where we're at. And I said, I'm studying Ezekiel. And, and uh, he, he was in, in uh, Deuteronomy. And um, I, I said, well, that's interesting because when we were in Deuteronomy 28, um, current events that were happening in the world at that time, it's the same with what's happening with us, with us tonight as we see the, the Middle East taking shape. But the point that, um, as we end this up here, talks about a tabernacle. And David's going to be on the tabernacle, and it's going to be at least for a thousand years, but I believe into eternity. And yet, our home, the New Jerusalem, it says there is no temple. So now we've got to talk that through. So now you have a temple, a sanctuary, and in Zechariah it says during the millennium, if you don't go to Jerusalem, the earthly kingdom, that uh, the Lord promised David and, and his descendants that they would inherit, the meek will inherit the earth, so on and so forth. Well, that's David. And they will go and he will be in the sanctuary. But when you read in Revelation about the new Jerusalem, it says it goes out of its way to say there is no temple because the Lord God is the temple and the light thereof. So we, we need to make a distinction. Um, John the Baptist said that he was a friend of the bridegroom. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And remember that during the millennium, people are still going to continue to live and die. Um, Some will sin, some will rebel. Everybody who enters into the millennium, that's Matthew 25, they're all saved, okay? When he separates the sheep from the goats. But... For a thousand years, longevity of life is restored. Um, the earth will be greatly um, it, uh, populated again. And it says he's going to rule with a rod of iron. Uh, but let's say you have the children and they have a free will. And after the thousand years, Revelation clearly tells us that the reason that the Lord allows Lucifer to be unchained is to go out and deceive those who are sort of sitting on the fence, really don't like the idea of being ruled by anybody. And so our Heavenly Father doesn't want you to spend eternity with him if you don't want to. I mean, if you, if you want to spend time with somebody, you do it, right? And if you don't, you don't. What do we call that? Free will. <laughs> if I don't want to hang with you, I don't like you, all right? If you don't like, want to hang with me, you don't like me. And, but it's your free will. And um, that's a big issue today. Uh, and I have it, and you have it, and the children that are born during the millennium, they're going to have it too. But they're going to be forced to rule righteous, to live righteously, until we get ready to go into eternity. Now an alternative has to be provided. That is the reason why Lucifer will be let loose. It says he goes out, and he, de- he deceives multitudes. 
It blows my mind. I mean, it really does. And I always like to make the point here, when people talk about psychology, well, I'm a victim of my society, and I am the way that I am because um, my mother was bad or whatever. Excuse you want to put on it. But the Lord, remember the scripture, he says, I don't want to hear that proverb anymore. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. It was a proverb. He says, I'm sick of hearing it. It means that you're making excuses for your life for something that somebody else did. No, you are held accountable for you. Good place for an amen. I'm held accountable for me. And uh, I stand before the Lord and he's gonna judge, judge me, but everybody is not gonna be standing next to their family or their husband or their wife or their grandma and their grandpa. It's you and it's, and, and it's me. So as we end this chapter, there's a lot of theology in, in, in this here. First of all, yes, he's going to bring them back That's, uh, and make them one nation again. Uh, but from among the nations in verse 21, plural, not Babylon. We're not talking about Ezekiel here and them returning after the seven-year captivity. We're talking about them returning and as we're going to read... Um, Oh, verse 16, it says of chapter 38, you will come up against my people, Israel, like a cloud to cover the land. It will be when? In the latter days. So we're not talking local time. And I will bring you against my land. So what we have in view here is them coming back. Uh, Right now, Israel is under one king, leader, we call him Bibi affectionately, Benjamin Netanyahu. They're living in peace, relatively speaking. Um, I have friends over there right now in the land that are, that are touring. And um, then it jumps again from there um, to the millennial reign where there is a tabernacle that will be in Jerusalem David, again, it tells us here that David will be sort of a regent uh, ruler in the place of our Lord. And I think it's going to be really interesting. I mean, coming back and forth from the New Jerusalem to earth, what our responsibilities are, the Bible doesn't talk a whole lot about it. And inquiry minds really want to know. (laughs) I mean, Colossians tells us if we're born again, then we're supposed to be thinking about those things that are above. And um, the truth of the matter is, most people don't. And yet, we're supposed to be thinking, gee, I wonder what it's gonna be like when we get up there. And what am, what, what's it gonna have me doing? And what's my job gonna be? And, and so on and so forth. All he'll tell us is little things like this. If you'll be faithful now in little things, now, he says, I will cause you to be faithful over more later. Now those are words to live by. And if we believe them, then we say, well, that makes all the sense of the world to, to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. He says, wherever your heart is, <laughs> that's where your treasure is gonna be. So it's all a matter of understanding who we are as Christians, that we have responsibilities. And if you're a wise investor, Chuck always used to say, you know, he'd, he'd look around and see where the Lord was, was um, Um, working and moving, and and it was a true work of the Spirit of God, he would invest in it. 
And people would say, why? And Chuck says, it's just a good investment. <laughs> and it is, you know. So, uh, main point, and I'll leave it just with that, that uh, there's a distinction between David ruling in a sanctuary, definitely during the millennium, and I believe when it says an everlasting covenant, everlasting to me sounds like forever and ever and ever. So we have a new heaven and a new earth that's going to be made, and they'll be eternal. And, um, but ours, we have a very unique place because we're the bride of Christ, where John the Baptist said he was just the friend of the bridegroom. Make the distinction. Will they both live forever? Yes. Will one be on the earth and have their sanctuary? Yes. Will the church be in the bridal suite for all eternity? Yes. Everybody tracking with me so far? All right, now, diving into uh, chapter 38. Um, this is unfolding as, as we, um, it, it does blow my mind, you know. As I look at current events, and even what happened today, I, I'll read something. And again, on Sunday, we'll go into more detail on how late is it really. And um, we come to chapter 38. This has not happened yet. But it introduces us to the main person and where the main person is from. And then the people who are going to form an alliance with him to attack Israel. So let's just read um, verses 1, 2, and 3 for now. Where it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I want you to set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against them and say, Thus says the Lord God, I am against you, O Putin, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I think I'm on pretty good solid ground to make the statement I just made. Right now, let me just explain that Gog is a word for a ruler, uh, which literally means roof, which actually means the man on top. I can't think of a better name of a dictator than Gog. If he's not on top, he's not a dictator. And if he is on top, he is a dictator. Magog, on the other hand, means head. It is a Hebrew word, rosh, R-O-S-H, which means head. Dean Stanley, in his exhaustive history of the Eastern Church, published half a century ago, has a note founded on Janius, the great Hebrew scholar, to the effect that the word rosh would be Russia. Then Dean Stanley adds that the only reference to a modern nation in the entire Old Testament uh, is here, and this is indeed remarkable. He goes on to say that Bishop Lothar made a statement that Rosh, taken as a proper name in Ezekiel, signified the inhabitants of uh, the, the Scythians from whom the modern word Russia derived their name. You see, Russia was first called Muscovo, derived from Meshach. Ivan IV, a czar of Russia, who was called Ivan the Terrible, 
came to the Muscovite's throne in 1533. He assumed the title of Tsar, which was the first time the title was used. I am sure you detect that the names Meshach and Tubal certainly sound a lot like Moscow and Tubalski, which is way over in the area of Siberia. So the linguistic phenomena certainly leads us to believe that Ezekiel is talking about Russia in this passage, but also the man who would be over and calling the shots. And as we look at the, 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 the stage today, that would indeed be um, Putin. So he's a guy we're keeping our, keeping our eyes on. Now, then it tells us that in verse four, that he says, I'm gonna turn you around and put hooks into your jaw and lead you out with all your armies and horsemen and all the splendid clothery, a great company of bucklers and shields and them handling swords. So Russia, we've always been in an arms race with them. Um, They were the first one to make it into space. We had to keep up. And um, uh, their technology and their supplying of weapons, um, there is no greater supplier, especially to our enemies in the world, than Russia. And there's hours of Bible study right in what I've just said. But if Gog is the, the head and Russia is the place, now we're told that something's going to happen to draw them. In other words, this is part of God's plan. Um, first of all, he says, I am against you. We talk about the Holocaust being terrible. That's nothing compared to what's happened in Russia. In the gulags, 70 million, not 7 million, 70 million. And um, um, the ousting of anything that, that, that smacked of truth, the religion, how they treated the Jewish people during this period of time, Russia has them beat hands down. Marxism and Stalin and the whole, the whole gang, um, their judgment has come upon them. So when the Lord says, I'm against you, <laughs> that's the last thing I ever want to hear, I'm against you. Well, the Lord says, I'm against you and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to put a hook in your jaw and I'm, going to, I'm the one that's going to actually drag you into something you're not sure you want to do. I've never seen a fish on a hook that was really excited about jumping into the boat once it's been hooked. But once you're hooked, you're hooked. And he's going to be drawn into it. But now at list the names of the organizations and countries that are going to be with them, beginning with verse 6, and the first one is the most important one, is Persia. Well, 80, 90 years ago, Iran was called Persia. So when we read Persia here, you're actually reading Iran. And then it says, I'll come back and explain the modern-day countries in a second. Ethiopia, Libya, are with them, all of them with shields and helmets. Gomer and all of its troops, the house of Togarma from the far north, and all of its troops. Many people are with you. Prepare yourself and be ready, all of your companions that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them, or a supplier would be a better name. Be a supplier for who? Well, Iran, 
Kush is Ethiopia and Sudan. Put is Libya. Gomar is Turkey and some have identified as parts of Eastern Europe. Beth Togarma, also Turkey, also said other experts to include Armenia and the Turkish-speaking people of Asia Minor. So here are the list of people that are going to gather with them. When is this going to happen? Verse 8 tells us, after many days. After many days, you will be visited. In the latter years, you will come into the land from those brought back by the sword uh, and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which have long been desolate. Now, we talked about this quite a bit on Sunday. Um, Going from the swamps to... um, um, no agricultural resources whatsoever. And on Sunday, once again, I'll bring out the list of the incredible amount of wealth the natural gas just found off the Mediterranean, the huge oil discovery on the Golan Heights, their technology is off the charts, their agriculture, fourth in the world. This is the state of Israel. So when it comes and it talks about it was desolate, but now... I brought the nations, and they dwell safely. What you want to notice here, so we're not getting confused with the Babylonian captivity, is plural, the nations, when? In the latter days. And um, he's going to regather them. You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops, and many peoples that are with you. So again, when it says, you want to look at verse 16, when it says latter days, again, uh, when it comes, it's used in verse 16, in the latter days, I will bring you against my land. And um, for the purpose in verse 12, let's work our way down there, for thus says the Lord God on that day, it will come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind, and you will make an evil plan and you will say, I'm going to go up against the land of unwalled villages, and I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely. All of them dwell without lands and having neither bar nor gates. Now, there are those who take this scripture, and they say, well, that can't be, because there is walls in Israel. And you do have to go through border crossings. And when you drive by Bethlehem, there's actually a wall that separates Bethlehem and it sort of swoops over like this. And the reason it swoops over like this is because uh, the Arabs in Bethlehem, they like to throw stones and just lob them over and hit because it's a, a major freeway. But because they made the wall and it's concave, it actually protects the traffic that's coming through. Now having said that, um, like I said, tourism is, is at an all-time high right now. The hotels are packed. And so when it says, in context here, when you talked about a city, the cities were walled. And I mean around the whole city. The city of David was when David took it from the Jebusites. They had to climb up a shaft because it was a walled city. So those who take the position, it can't mean today they're not dwelling peacefully. Well, sure there are. Tourism is uh, flourishing, and they're not in 
in a state of war. It doesn't mean there aren't terrorist attacks, but we're talking um, uh, a full-on war that is going to take place. There's always been skirmishes. There's always been uprising that has happened since they've been in, in the land. But here it says in verse 12, the reason that they're going to come is to take plunder and to take booty to stretch out your hand against the waste places. See, again, it was nothing. But now again, it's inhabited. And against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock, goods, and dwell in the midst of the land. And again, I talked about kibbutzes on Sunday. And um, they're always packed. The one that we have our fish dinner in, you have to have reservations way ahead of time. That's a kibbutz, but it's a tourist kibbutz. And then you have dairy kibbutzes. And the kibbutzniks are pretty much gone. Now they're independently owned because the culture has graduated from one of the necessity of having to live together to form a nation to now that they're so prosperous that that isn't no longer a necessity. But one of the things that's going to draw them in is there's something appealing. And what would I like to get sidetracked here? Just talking about the largest export that Russia has is supplying natural gas to Europe and the pipeline that leads from there. And uh, the big fear that the Europeans have is that they'd ever cut off that pipeline. Well, now... Israel has discovered, I, I, I'll talk about it again on Sunday, this unbelievable discovery of natural gas that they're already exporting into Jordan. And it's a threat to, just on a, uh, to me it could be a hook, it's competition. And um, not only if we can get rid of the competition, better yet, take it. Not to mention the discovery of the oil and all the agriculture, and they have truly turned it into a beautiful land. Now, if you had a choice and you wanted to spend your summer vacation near Russia, would you rather go to Siberia or maybe the Sea of Galilee? <laughs> I'd, I'd pick the Sea of Galilee, hands down. <laughs> and um, so there's a lot of, when this, when this event takes place, it says to come and take a plunder. And again, when they're one of the three leading, leading countries in the world that refine uh, diamonds. That's what, one of the things that, that they're known for. Again, I'll bring up that list. Now, while this is going on, we're introduced in verse 13 to Sheba and Dedan. Well, who are Sheba and Dedan? They're both cities today. They both exist in Saudi Arabia. And talking with Elijah Abraham, Elijah will be with us at our prophecy conference here in September. And um, I remember we were talking about this at one time. And during the Gulf War, when Saddam Hussein was invading Kuwait, Saudi Arabia gave us permission to land our jets on their soil. And Iraq is so ticked at that to this day that um, 
well, again, you have the Sunnis and the Shiites. And he believes before Russia attacks and um, the Sunnis and the Shiites, that's what a lot of this battle is really over, is to take out Mecca and uh, as a strong port, even before they would try to do anything in Israel. I said, well, that's interesting. And he would know. You know, he grew up in Baghdad, and he, 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 uh, he's just an expert on, on the subject. But here, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish, well, we don't know who that is. We think it's Britain, Britannia, and all their young lions will say, well, have you come to take a plunder? Have you... Are you here to gather a booty? In other words, they're not doing anything. They're just asking questions. They're not involved in this war. They're simply saying, hey, what are you doing? Um, Again, not being dogmatic. If it is Britain, and if there's a reference to the young lions or the offspring of Britain, well, we're on the offspring of Britain, and there are those who take the position that this reference here is a reference to us. You know what I say to that? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe yes, maybe no. Um, Good Bible teachers and commentaries say it's a reference to the United States because we're an off-branch of Britain. And um, I personally think, I agree with J. Vernon McGee here, he actually has a chart where we get to 39 of the rapture, that um, the world... We, we can't imagine the psychological implications of something that has never happened of such a profound effect, the effect that it's going to have on planet Earth. You don't have millions of people just disappearing and then go to work on, on Monday morning and pretend everything's okay. No, everything is different. Everything has changed. And that's what's going to happen. And then, like McGee says, then all hell breaks loose. And... Um, but here, just notice that they're not involved in this. Are they an Arab country? Yes. Were 19 of the people that took down the towers on 9-11 from Saudi Arabia? Yes, they're still Muslims. And you cannot have a Bible study in Saudi Arabia. And if they find you with a Bible, they'll take it away. And, uh, uh, you know, Mecca is the center of it all. But having said that, they're neutral here. And then, again, this gets into the whole Sunni-Shiite hatred of, um, of, of each other. But the question is, have you come to take away silver and gold and livestock and goods to take great plunder? Verse 14, Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to God, thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people dwell safely, Will you not know it? Now at this time, I'm going to um, stop before I get into the, God's judgment here. I'm going to put a map on so it'll give you a little visual of this. And while that's coming up, I'll read. I, we got this off the internet a couple of days ago. <clears throat> the name of uh, this article is uh, Russia's Power Play in the Middle East Brings Together Nations for Ezekiel 38. Russia continues to expand its influence in the Middle East and is bringing together more and more countries into its fold. Uh, Intervention in Syria has has been a catalyst to reestablish its power in the region, 
not since the days of the Cold War. Iran has been a longtime partner with Russia, but now we see new developments in both Libya and Turkey to also bring about a stronger alliance. Iran saw a a massive uh, cash influx after sanctions were removed last year, thanks to Obama and his administration, and as a result, substantial portions of this money will be put toward military modernization, including an estimated one billion air defense system supplied by Russia. A part of this deal also included the Russian S-300 air defense missile system, considered one of the most efficient anti-aircraft, anti-ballistic missile systems in existence, a clear response to Israel's threat that Iran will never be allowed to become a nuclear power. Russia, in a bid to regain its previous influence enjoyed in Libya before the overthrow of Gaddafi's government, also has reached out to Libyan General Haftar. He controls 60,000 men in the Libyan National Army in the east of the country. Russia's recent, recently received a Haftar aboard its aircraft carrier, pledging their support for his bid to control Libya, a move that would give Russia significant influence over North America. A former colonel under Gaddafi stated that Haftar is going to facilitate Russia's access to ports in Libya, as well as open up airport runways to them. In the case of Turkey, now this was, Turkey was always the one that was, it was a wild card because they weren't on board. For years, the countries were lined up, says Gaddafi. Turkey always wanted to get into the UN. But because of um, their coup that they had, they were hoping to get into the UN. What I'm about to read here is now for the first time, Turkey's on board. And now all the countries are in place. So in the case of Turkey, President Aragon has thrown himself on the side of Russia as Turkey's relation with both Israel and the United States have soured. In August 2016, Erdogan praised Putin as his dear friend in a visit to St. St. Peter's ship that saw the two leaders pledging to strengthen ties. The 2015 downing of the Russian jet by Turkish forces seems all but forgotten as the two nations continue to strengthen their military ties. Turkey's half-century-old EU membership bid is also currently teetering on the brink of collapse after the European Union's legislature asked the bloc to freeze membership negotiations with Turkey over the government's heavy-handed crackdown following a failed coup attempt in July. Turkish President Erdogan indicated in a recent interview that he was fed up with waiting for the European Union to accept Turkey as a member state, indicating he would be willing to join the Russian-led Shanghai Corporation corporation organization as an alternative to the Western Bloc. 2,600 years ago, the prophet Ezekiel foretold the time when a coalition of nations would gather together to invade the nation of Israel. 
This well-known conflict is known as the War of Gog and Magog. According to the book of Ezekiel 38 and 39, this confederation of nations will attack Israel during a relatively peaceful period that will appear to be generated by a recent uh, conflict resulting in a state of peace for the Jewish nation. According to the prophet, now he's going to quote Ezekiel 38:8 again, after many days you will be called in the latter years you will come into the land that is restored from the sword, whose inhabitants have been gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste. But its people were brought out of the nations, and they, all of them, are dwelling safely. And you will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go against those who are at rest that dwell safely all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. The nations cited by Ezekiel are each referenced in the Old Testament, yet they all represent nations that exist today. Long before Russia became a major world power, most biblical scholars identified Magog as the nation of Russia and Gog the ruler of Russia. These other nations mentioned in, his, in, in Ezekiel, um, I mentioned earlier in the first part of my notes, are, well, let's just go through it by memory. We have, let's go back to 36. Iran, Ethiopia, and Libya, that's cushion put. That would be Qaddafi's territory. Gomar, and we mentioned as uh, modern-day Turkey, they were the last one to get in line. Bottom line is this. The stage is set. And as you look at, just look at the map and you can see um, the ones that are mentioned here, they're already lined up and ready to go. And the fall of the dictators in, in what, the last 15 years, first Gaddafi, um, then uh, Hussein, uh, were, you know, how, how Assad is still in power is only because he's being propped up. And, um, you know, it's genocide, what's happening. And uh, when, you, when you, you look at the news, you, what you're finding out is what color dress this woman wore at the Academy Awards. That's the news. When you have genocide taking place in Syria and refugees trying to flee for their life with their, with their kids. And, um, we're, and this is the enemy's tactic. Look over here, look over here, when everything else is happening over here. That's why they call him serpent who is more subtle. That's what we read in Genesis. More subtle than any of the creatures. Oh, he's smart. I, I think of, I watch the stocks, and um, health care is always at the top. You ever notice that? And it's a big issue, it's always a big issue. You know where that really comes from? It was found in the book of Job. This is just off the top of my head right now, but I'm thinking about how he thinks. As he's looking at Job not giving in, he says, this will get him skin for skin. He says, a man will do anything for his life. Go ahead, raise, raise the rates as much as you want to. Demand health care. Why? Skin for skin. Man doesn't want to die. Man's afraid to die, basically. The only one I know for sure is Paul. He said, let's get it on. <laughs> Death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? I want out of here. 
Well, I want out of here in a rapture. I don't want to, I don't want to die by a, a wound that I got to lay in a hospital bed for six months. No. That's being normal and that's being human. But, um, well, Jerry came up in the office today and we started reminiscing about the good old days. And the fact is, they were a whole lot better. The music certainly was, and that's basically what we were talking about. Nothing worth listening today unless it's good Christian. And um, the, here's the sad reality. It's not going to get any better. Jesus clearly said these are the beginnings of sorrows. So where, what, where do you want to put your eggs in what basket? If you see what's coming down and you see what's happening, the gang, the only thing that makes sense is serving the Lord. Good place for an amen. The only thing that makes sense is to serve the Lord because it's quick we're here for a short time. Only when life's soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And that's, that's really the bottom line. And now we have insider information. I mean, can you imagine from a secular perspective, if you wanted an inside information for the stock market, what this would be worth? I mean, we have the details laid out. When we get to the first verse of chapter 39, it tells us, Five, six will be destroyed. If you got the King James Version of the Bible, we have the numbers. That means five, six are going to be killed and one, six is, are going to make it back home only to be de- destroyed when they get back to Russia. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So where do I leave off? In verse 15, um, <clears throat> let me read verse 16. You will come up against my people like a... <coughs> Excuse me, like a cloud to cover the land, it will be in the latter days. I will bring you against my land, so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. Thus says the Lord God, Are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servant, the prophet of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? And it came to pass at the same time when Gog comes against the land of Israel that the Lord will say that my fury will show in my face. He's been holding it in for a long time. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken, surely in that day there will be a great earthquake in the land of Israel so that the fish of the sea, the birds in the heavens and the beasts of the field and the creeping things that creep on the earth will, will all be men and on, on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains will be thrown down. The steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against Gog. Throughout all my mountains, says the Lord, every man will be against his brother, confusion. And I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him and his troops and on many peoples who are with him, uh, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. We're talking Sodom and Gomorrah type stuff here. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself and I will be known in the eyes of many nations and then they will know that I am the Lord. Now here, as we read about this judgment, here's McGee's comments on this before we get into 39. Going back to verse 22, he comments, 
Since Israel is dwelling in peace and Antichrist has deceived everyone, God is Israel's only source of help. He himself will deal with Russia. War will break out. The great tribulation will begin, which is the final three and one and a half years of the tribulation period in all of its furious uh, fury. The whole earth will be a holocaust. Judgment, one right after the other, will come upon the earth. War will reign. Christ said concerning this brief period of time, except those days will be short and no flesh would be, be saved. Now as we get into chapter 39, he goes on to say, this is a message for us here when it talks about the fire and brimstone. When God was ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham thought he was being unjust. He asked God, Lord, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Will you spare the city if there are 50 righteous? 45, 40, 30, 20, 10? God said, no. He would not destroy the city if 10 righteous were found there. But there was not 10. And God sent his angels to get Lot out of the city, saying that they could not destroy the city until Lot was out of it. My friend... This is one reason I believe that God will not let the tribulation come until he takes his church. That is all born-again believers out of this world. And then he says, let me illustrate with the following diagram. And he's got a little diagram here where it shows the church being raptured. We have um, the tribulation taking place, 37 through 39. And um, and then after the tribulation, the tribulation, we have the Lord returning with his church and establishing the um, millennial age. All right, we have time to crack out. We can at least read through and then get more in depth on this on Sunday. Chapter 39 is, is basically <clears throat> the cleanup. What the Lord has done, he has, he has manifested himself personally in judgment since the time of the deliverance of the children of Israel out of Egypt, the flood, and Lot. Those were God's judgments. It was his hand that did it. And now for the first time, we're seeing it on a scale when all the nations of the world are coming together to destroy it, but the Lord is gonna step in. He's gonna shake everything up. And um, in verse one, son of man prophesy against Gog, Russia, and says, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against you, O Gog, Prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around and lead you and bring you up from the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. And, and if you have the King James there, it, it, it talks about only a six of them returning. It actually gets into the numbers. It's that direct. In verse three, He says, I will knock the bow out of your left hand and the arrows out of your right hand. Now, if you do a word study on the word uh, bow, it can be translated launcher. That's another name. Do your own homework. Be a Brian on that one. And the arrows can also be translated, if you do a word study, as missiles. In other words, you could read this, I will knock the launcher out of your right hand and the missiles out of your left hand. 
which would not do any injustice to the text. And in light of modern technology, I think that's exactly what is here. You shall fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and your people who are with you. I will give you to the birds of prey and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You will fall in the open field, for I have spoken, says the Lord. Now, I won't spend too much time on this, but there are good Bible teachers that I respect and love who believe that Ezekiel 38 and 39 is is the battle of Armageddon. And um, I have a lot of issues why I do not believe that is the case. And one of the reasons is here, the cleanup and the, um, the spoils of the war, they're going to burn for seven years. So there's a seven-year period of time that you have to deal with there. And in here, with this battle, there's a mention of Gog, but no mention of the Antichrist, which is the key figure during the tribulation period. This is a war that kicks it off. And I believe... It, Think of it in this terms, and this is the way I actually see it happening. The rapture taking place. Great confusion. Russia has this opportunity. The world's in chaos. He makes it smooth. Israel's still there. There's part of what's called a church, people who aren't born again but are called Christians. They're in confusion. Mary gave a wonderful update on Sunday about globalism and where it's headed. We know it's headed towards one world government, one world religion. All those signs are in place. And now, just today, this is dated today. The title is, Iran Vows to Deliberate the Golan Heights. It's only a a paragraph, so I'll read it. This is today's news. A new Iranian-funded Iraqi Hezbollah brigade uh, aims to liberate the Golan Heights from Israel. Spokesman Husave last week said, at a news conference in Iran. According to the Iranian news agency who heads up the Hezbollah uh, subgroup, he said, after the latest victories in Syria and Iraq, we've established the Golan Liberation Brigade. This is a trained army with specific plans. If the government of Syria requests, (laughs) I'm sure they're gonna say no, we and our allies are ready to take action to liberate the Golan. When they mean by liberate is they believe it's theirs. Uh, We will not permit Arab and Islamic countries in the region to remain in the grasp of the occupiers. According to Mosavi, the new terror group is well-trained and equipped with Iranian rockets. And what a surprise, Russian-made T-90 tanks, the supplier. Um, Hezbollah General... Al Kabai said the declaration regarding the formation of the liberation of the Golan Brigade is not only a media campaign, but the real goal of the movement. In their promotional video, terrorists wave a banner which reads, Israel will be destroyed. Israel intelligence minister in the Likud warned if Hezbollah leader Hassan Nasrallah dares to fire at the Israeli home front or at the natural infrastructure, all of Lebanon will be hit. And now you have the straw that breaks the camel's back and you have 
um, the breakout of, I believe, the rapture of the church, the, this Russian invasion that will take place. So the ones, and pick it up from verse six, they're the one six that make it home. He says, and I will send fire on Magog and those who dwell securely in the coastlands. And the question is, well, who are the guys that are dwelling securely on the coastlands? And my answer to that is, I don't know. <laughs> well, coastlands, there's a lot of coastlands that are dwelling safely. Yes, we can speculate. Yes, it could be us. And it could be anybody. But one that's named is Russia. And then they will know I am the Lord. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. And I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. And then the nations will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Surely it is coming. Can I read that again? Surely it is coming. I'm saying surely it is here. And it shall be done, says the Lord God, this is the day of which I have spoken. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers and the bows and the arrows, the javelins and the weapons, and they will make fire with them for seven years. This is one of the reasons that I don't believe the church can be anywhere near this. This is the wrath being poured out, God's judgment. This is God's wrath going to pour it out on a church? I don't think so. So we got the tribulation just happens to be what? A seven year period of time. Why doesn't it say eight? I think there's probably enough material for eight. But after seven it's not necessary anymore because now we're entering into the millennial reign. When the children of Israel came into the promised land they had manna for 40 years. But the day they crossed the Jordan and went into the promised land, no more manna. Why? They didn't need it anymore. They're now dwelling in the land of milk and honey. I think it's the same sort of thing here. Verse 10, they will not take wood from the field and cut down from the forest. By the way, there wasn't any forest in Israel uh, 60 years ago. None. There is today. Somebody planted a, a tree in my mother's name. And uh, it's one of the things that, that people do for gifts is plant a tree in a, for Israel, in Israel. And they will plunder those who plundered them and plunder those who pillaged them, says the Lord God. It'll come to pass in that day that I'll give Gog a burial place there in Israel. And the valley of those who pass by the east of it will be um, obstruct travelers because they will bury Gog. In, in the multitude, therefore they will call it the Valley of Ham, Hamangog. For seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Indeed, all the people of the land will be burying them and, and they will gain renown for on that day I will be glorified, says the Lord God. They will set apart men regularly employed. In other words, you can get a job finding Russian dead bodies. And when you find one in this job that you get, when you pass through the land to bury their bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse, at the end of the seven months they will do a search. And the search party will pass through the land. And whenever anyone sees a man's bones, oh, we missed one, there's a guy over there. 
They will put a marker by it till the barriers are buried in the valley of Ham Hamagad. And the name of the city will also be called Hamona, and thus they shall cleanse the land. And as for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to every sort of the bird and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourself and come. Gather yourself from one side to my sacrificial meal, which I am sanctifying for you, a great sacrifice meal on the mountains of Israel, and that they may eat flesh and drink blood. Well, this sure sounds a lot like the book of Revelation to me. How about you? Well, here's the difference. It says all the nations of, of the world. Here, it mentions specific nations, not all of them, and they're on that map right there. So it does, in going to Israel, without exception, we always see the migration. It's that one narrow strip between Africa and Asia that they have this migration route. And you see the pelicans and the storks and, and hundreds and thousands of birds all the time. You, you, catch, you watch them catching the, the wind currents and that's how they, they make their way to wherever they're going. So I believe that this is a feast that would naturally take place and I believe it's going to happen not, um, I believe it's going to happen twice here in this battle but also in the battle of Armageddon. Uh, verse 19, you will eat fat till you are full, you will drink blood till you are drunk at my sacrifice meal. When I sacrifice for you, you shall be filled at my table with horses and riders, with mighty men, and all the men of war, says the Lord God. And I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations shall see my judgments which I have executed, and my hand which I have laid on them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord, their God, from that day forward. They're gathered together now, and they are carnal. They are worldly. There's a small orthodox religious part. But the majority are heathens. <laughs> they're just, um, they have no fear of the Lord whatsoever. Matter of fact, um, well, the, Tel Aviv is, was rated the, the most sinful city in the world. Topic Vegas. The Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they were unfaithful to me. Therefore I hid my face from them. I gave them into the hand of their enemies and they fell by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgression I have dwelt with them. I've hidden my face from them. Therefore thus says the Lord God, now I will bring back the captives of Jacob, and I will have mercy on the whole house of Israel. I will be jealous for my holy name. After they have borne their shame and their unfaithfulness, which they were unfaithful to me, when they dwelt safely in their own land, no one made them afraid. When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, I will hallow them in the sight of many nations, and then they shall know that I am the Lord their God who sent them into captivity among the nations. But I also brought them back into their own land and let none of them uh, captive any longer. I will not hide my face from them anymore for I have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. One point that McGee makes here in talking about 
the church going through this period of time, I want you to think about as I close up this study tonight. And he says, uh, to put it very bluntly, all hell is gonna break out when this happens on earth during the tribulation period. It would be a frightful, terrible time. He says, I don't understand the folks who insist that God's redeemed ones, which we designate as a church, will go through the tribulation. Now catch this. The Bible makes it clear that those who are witnessing on the earth during this time will be the 144,000. You can't get past chapter seven, verse one, with saying the wind stops and he's gonna supernaturally seal 144,000. And then also at the same time, Revelation 11 says that there's two guys that show up that are called the two witnesses. It tells us the time length of their ministry. 1,260 days, and then they're allowed to be killed. Well, how long is 1,260 days? Three and a half years. So who's doing the witnessing? The church? No. Church of Philadelphia, the Lord promised, because you've kept my word, you've been faithful in little things, he says, I'm gonna keep you from that great trial that's gonna come upon the whole world. That's the promise that he made to the born-again Christian church. And so God always has a witness. Old Testament, Israel. New Testament, Jesus says, you're, you're, the, you're, the light of the, you're the salt of the earth and light of the world. You're my witness. But when the church is taken out, what's the first thing the Lord does? Does, do, did? <laughs> he seals. I, I mean, his point here is so well if you think it through. He's sealing Jews, not Jehovah Witnesses, Jews. And he names them, 12,000 from Ephraim, from Manasseh, and he just goes down the list. And the other thing here, as I'm way past my time that I'll make clear, is this whole idea about the 10 lost tribes. They're not lost at all. They're all, they're all listed in Revelation chapter seven, except Dan. And... Um, um, We'll get into that in a different study because I'd be here for another half an hour. (laughs) Let's stand and we'll pray. More on Sunday in more detail. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. A lot to take in. The timing, Lord, is off the charts for us as we think think this through and we look at an event that happened today. The stage is set. The curtain's ready to rise. And yet, most of the church is completely unaware of what's, what's going on. Let it not be so for us, Lord. Help us redeem the time. Uh, help us see the finish line. And Lord, give us a kick. Give us a good finish. And we thank you that you've opened up the scriptures to us. So Lord, as we go our way, bless our fellowship tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.